Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 23 has been the focus of understanding our resources in Christ. Context flows out of verse 15 of the reason that Paul is praying that we would understand our resources in Christ. So I will begin reading at verse 15 through the end of the chapter and put a little bow on this wonderful text of Scripture. For this reason I too, having learned of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelations in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of His glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Lord, uh, I rejoice. I I rejoice at this massive text. And Father, that you've given me a privilege. Uh, What a privilege. To read, to look, to dwell, to ponder to petition, to meditate, uh, to digest. Father, to be encouraged in darkness, to be encouraged in light. Father, to understand the hope of every believer's calling and the inheritance of all the saints. We thank you, Father. We thank you that you have drawn us together today, that we have the privilege of worshiping in spirit and truth. Father, looking at the things that God is doing, and that, Father, we who are in Christ have a privilege to be in the master plan before time. Thank you, my King. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. This is, uh, you know, I I read this book every day and it it, it just keeps getting more and more massive as I go. And it is, it is astonishing to me is the more I read it. I, I look at chapter one and I understand that what I'm in right now is Paul's prayer that we understand what God's plan was before creation and the resources that he plugged into that plan before creation. And that there is absolutely, positively, nothing stopping it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And yet I look at chapter 1 and it's all past. I'm in chapter 2. It's present. But in light of the past, 
Paul is praying that the church in Ephesus and that you and I this day would nail this down, get a grasp on this. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, it will change your life in ways you can't even grasp it. You can't even comprehend it. It, can't, it doesn't stop. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet, I look at the complacency of the body of Christ. I look at the, the ineptness of the average Christian. And I keep thinking, what part about this don't they get? This is Paul's prayer beginning in verse 15. We are looking at verses 17 through 23. We have looking at this, what he was petitioning for the believers. This is what he wants for believers. That they understand the greatness of God's plan. That they understand the greatness of God's power. But also that they would understand the greatness of God's person. His majesty. His majesty. He's requesting that we would understand this person. You know, I've made the comment before and you've heard me that people will live their life according to the size of their God. That's why this morning when I was sharing out of Romans 8, uh, you know, what was I going to go, where was I going to go after Romans 8? And Romans 9 is sovereignty. And I believe that we are inept on God's sovereignty. We say it. Especially if something happens to someone we know. We smile at them and tell them that God is sovereign. Okay? Until that same something happens to us, then we want to know, where is God? What did you just do? You didn't understand who God is. And that's what I started into last week. And actually last week I was thinking was going to be my last message in this text. But as I prayed over it and looked at it and pondered it, I can't leave it alone. Sorry. His person to every one of you should be a constant focus. Every one of you. All the time. Every breath you take should have a focus on the person of Jesus Christ and God the Father and His glory. The hope of His calling and the inheritance of the saints. Because you know what when it is? When you focus on that person, you overcome all problems. Every time, all the time. See, that is where the right motivation and power comes to work our problems out. From the person of Jesus Christ. Hey, you. It ain't your ingenuity. It ain't your brilliant planning. It isn't your talents. It isn't your education. It isn't your position in society. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Too many 
in the body of Christ weigh wholly and solely on their resources. And yet, I know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You want happiness? You really think there's something in this world that's going to make you happy? Really? You really think so? It might make you for that happenstance make you happy. But it ain't happiness. Because it won't be long right after that. What? I'll need something else to make me happy. How about productivity? You want to be productive? You want to accomplish something? You really think that this world has something to offer you that you can be productive at. When our primary attention is on His purity, on His greatness, on His holiness, on His power, and on His majesty, the world cannot stop you, dissuade you, perplex you, nor deceive you. Ever. Now, you may think that I'm, uh, he's just getting all kind of jazzed up. And you know what? I am. I remember a text that I taught you guys not too long ago. Well, it probably was a little long ago. And it concludes with my favorite verse in all of Scripture. But I want you to think about the context. I read that verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all... You know what that is, right? That'd be like Ewan's. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Okay? That's my favorite verse. Why? Behold, in a mirror, you are being transformed into... The image of the Lord. But I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul did in that text. Because he contrasts it. Who has made us adequate servants of a new covenant? Why? Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God. Who's made us adequate? God has. For what? Whatever he planned from the foundations of the world. As servants of a new covenant. Not in the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, the spirit gives life. What's he talking about? The old covenant and the new covenant. You know what those are, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, you know, the letter of the law, you know, the Ten Commandments and all, all that stuff. Don't sleep with your uncle's wife and kids and brothers and ducks and chickens and all these other things. Yeah, I read all that. That makes sense. Okay. If the ministry of death being the law 
and letters engraved on stones, see, Ten Commandments, came with what? Glory. So that the sons of Israel could not, because of the glory, they could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face was fading as it was. Remember when Moses used to go up and have a peekaboo with God and he'd come back glowing in the dark? And what was the nation of Israel's response? We're going to die. Cover him up. It scared them. He came back doing what? Reflecting the glory of God. You got it? How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Uh Uh-oh. See what he just did? He just transitioned from the glory of God in the old covenant that faded on the people to the glory of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, which does what? Hello? What does it do? It gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Let me ask you a question. Is it? Is the glory of God in you getting brighter and brighter and brighter? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, the old covenant, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, What had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpassed it. People say, why don't you ever preach out of the Old Testament? That's why. The glory of the Old Testament is past. I want the glory that grows with every breath that has graced us. For what if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away? It faded. But their minds were hardened for until this very day. At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. Oh, that sounds familiar! You are in Christ. So guess what? The veil's gone. The heart isn't hard. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See what I'm trying to get at? See what the Apostle Paul is getting at? See what the Lord is getting at? That's now, people. That's now. The glory of the Lord isn't fading away in His people. And when I say, do you want happiness? How do you defeat that? You want productivity? You want joy? Unsurpass- you want peace that surpasses understanding? Behold! The glory of His majesty. Gaze on His glory with a clear vision that is provided in the new covenant because the veil has been removed. What blessing we can have when we take the time to set our own concerns and our own needs aside and simply focus on the Lord of glory. It all changes. Allowing the Spirit of the living God to do in us what Paul asked God in the letter to the Ephesians. And yet, you know what? I was talking about that today. If we suffer with Christ in Romans 8, if we suffer with Christ, then we are His children. And people say, well, you know, I don't do in the mission fields. I haven't really suffered for Christ. Yeah, you are. You're in the world. That is suffering for Christ. You don't think so? How much pull does the world have on you? You don't think it doesn't have an influence? Look around. Where is everybody? I can tell you. world's got them. I've got to work. I need to work more. I need to work less. Oh, I work so much I need a break. What are you focusing on? can't do it you can't well you don't understand i hurt well i thought he was a great physician because see that's going to bring me to the next little phrase that the apostle paul brings to us allowing the spirit of the living lord to do what paul petitioned in the letter to the ephesian give each And every believer, a deep understanding of the truth that is our Lord. I don't want to hear your subjections. I don't want to hear your opinions. I want to know emphatically who is Lord. What does He look like and what is He doing? And then I want to jump on it. Jump on the proverbial, holy bandwagon. Paul says here in verse 21, he's far above. He's far above. You know what that means? Everything looks up to him. He's far above. They got, oh, I like this. I kept thinking this one time when we, they were putting the uh, Hubble up. I kept thinking, 
<laughs> they're going to get that thing focused. They're going to be looking and looking and looking. They're going to look over and God's eyeball is going to be looking right back at them. They're going to go, oh, what was that? <laughs> oh, that was, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh, well. He is far above. He is far above. All rule. Archaia. First. First one. That's Archaia. All rule. Which I? First ruler. Numero uno. He's far above. The number one ruler has to look up to see our Lord. Ecclesia, authority. That is the delegated appointed one. Second in command. Guess what second in command has to do? He got to look up. He's got to look up. Dunamis. Power. Dunamis. Power. He is far above all power. All power. All power is nothing compared to our Lord. All the armies of the world in the future will gather in the Valley of Megiddo. I've looked at the Valley of Megiddo. It's a cool looking place. It's massive. You go all the way across the valley and you go up the hill. That's Nazareth. Where I was was a fortified city at one time, but was destroyed by a massive army out of the valley of Megiddo. They're all going to gather there. It's huge. I can't imagine filling it up with military might. And all he does is speak. And the blood runs rain deep on a horse for four miles. What power is that? What power is that? Well, I can tell you how stupid the idiots are in the valley of Megiddo. He gives a list there. Dominion and every name that is named. Okay, dominion. Dominion is is a, a a form. It's actually a verb form of curios. Curios is the word we translate Lord. Okay, so that's curios is Lord. This is kurtos, kurtes, and it means lordship. Okay, it's an authoritative term. It, it has authority to it. The tradition of the Jews use this terminology to designate angels. They look at angels. You've read it and it said there are cherubim and seraphim. To a Jew, that means that there was rankings for the angelic host. I mean, if you look at it, there's only one archangel. Okay? Right? You only hear one. One name is given archangel, Michael. Some other angels are named, Gabriel. We hear of cherubs, seraphim. And so to a Jewish mindset, when you look at that, he's looking at this ranking of angels, angelic host. Now, we look at that and we think about the, a guy who kind of, well, he, he's feminist because they always call him he. And I never understood why we always make him look like girls. 
But they're kind of effeminate looking. They've got very long, stylish hair with a great hairdresser and wings. Okay? Well, let me tell you about an angel and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Okay? One girly looking angel slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians in one stroke. But you know what? That one angel still has to look up. Still has to look up. He is still far above. Far above. I always get tickled because Jesus said, if I wanted to be saved, I could call for a legion of angels. I was like, a legion? A legion? Whoa. (laughs) One killed 185,000 armed soldiers. A legion is a hundred. And yet when it comes to the valley, the battle in the valley of Megiddo, only one does it. And all he does is speak. To a Jew, this designated rank and degree of might. The point the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that you can take all of the earthly rulers and you can take all of their right-hand men and you can stack them all up throughout history and they all have to look up to Jesus. You need to understand something. It doesn't say almost every knee will bow. It says every knee shall bow. To the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, well, you can get saved. And then and then, the, the, then you cruise around and you kind of live your life. And you go frolicking through the tulips and all that other stuff. And then at some point you make Him Lord. That's a life in the pit of hell. You don't make Him Lord. He is far above all lords. How do I make Him Lord? He already is. Okay, the point that I want to try to wrap this up with. The power of Christ is over every human being who's ever been named. Every name been named, okay? He's over that. He's over all the angelic host. The demons and the holy angels. He's over every political ruler, monarch who has ever existed. He is still far above. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. You you all sit there and you all smile. Yes, man. My God can whoop your God. I remember when the Ark of the Covenant was put in the little temple of the Philistines and he kept knocking their statues down. Then he made everybody sick. He didn't like his box in that place. See, that's my God. He just, he's, he said, don't touch it. And that guy reached out to keep it from falling on the ground. He touched it and fell over dead. And I said, that's my God. 
That's my God. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's my God. He will stand at the valley of Megiddo and speak and obliterate the military force of the planet. That's my God. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And guess what, man? He's going to stand on that thing. He's going to cause an earthquake. It's going to go all the way across Israel. And it's going to open up. And we're going to fill up the Dead Sea with really nice Mediterranean blue water. But Israel will then be a land of lush. That's my God. Mm-hmm. That's mine. He, you can't stop that. Mm-mm. All right. Remember this then. The power of Christ is applied in the believers and on the believers' behalf. And it cannot be overthrown, nor can it be defeated. Same one. It is far, 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 far greater than the host of Satan. That's what I get tickled to death over that because you, you watch some of these churches and it says, well, we're coming together today and we're going to worship Jesus, but we need to bind Satan. You know what? I don't have to bind Satan. I don't have to do nothing to Satan. You know what? That's my God. Watch what my God does to Satan. This ain't going to end well. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why are you focusing on him? Do you understand there's a reason he's called a fallen angel? He's already tried this. Guess what? It didn't look. Why would I focus on him? Listen, this is very, very important. Satan has a design to, to defeat the Lord. Listen, this goes back a few years. Remember when he was talking to that woman? Has God said, all I want you to do is doubt. Because see, if you doubt, you're defeated. Because you've been deceived. He is called the father of fibbing. No, he's called the father of lies. This is extremely important for us. There is a war that has gone on since God kicked Satan out of heaven. Okay? I've heard it called all kinds of things. It's called a spiritual war. It's called a cosmic war. It's called all this. And it's between God, his angels, the holy angels, and Satan and a third that are demons. And it's going on all the time. I am tickled to death that it's invisible. Listen, let me show you something. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. We'll get into this. I'm getting really excited about getting into 3, but I, 2 is just blowing my mind. So anyway, Ephesians 3, verse 10. The manifold wisdom of God. Okay, do you know what a manifold is? If, if you See, I, I work on things. And a manifold takes a whole bunch of channels and pumps them into one okay so uh, you put you have an exhaust manifold on a car 
You take all of these cylinder exhausts and you drop them into one. You have intake manifold on a car. Guess what? One into many. It's a piece of cake, right? Manifold. That's, that's the terminology here. The manifold wisdom. It's all into one. Well, what the heck has he been talking about in the book of Ephesians? The fullness of him. Where is that at? His body. Where is the manifold wisdom of Christ? His body. Do you understand when people don't come to church, they're missing the manifold wisdom of Christ? Did you know that? They do it consistently. I remember years ago when I first took over the pulpit, I would preach on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I would continue in the book. It was like, all right, I was in this part of Matthew, and now I'm in the next section of Matthew on Sunday night. And it dawned on me after about a year that, you know what? 90% of the church is only going to get 50% of the book. I thought, well, I ain't right. So I began to change it. I taught something else on Sunday night, and I taught... Something on Sunday morning. Why? Because you're missing it. There's a lot of people who come on Sunday morning and won't come on Sunday night. A lot of people come on Sunday morning and won't come to Sunday school. Do you understand what you're doing? Because how important is that? Read the rest of this verse. The manifold wisdom of God might be, might now be made known through the church. To whom? Who is he showing this off to? Read it. Do you know what those are? Those are angels. He wants to show his wisdom in the body of Christ to the angelic host. Fallen and holy. Peter says, you know what? Angels sit there and scratch your head trying to figure out what this redemption thing is. Why? Because the fullness of Christ is going to be manifest where? In His body. Where? Here. How? Through our emotions? No. Through the wisdom of God. Our conflict is with these fallen angels. Why? We are manifesting the fullness of Jesus Christ. And you know how well they liked Him when He was here incarnate. And so all I need to get you to do is say, Well, you know what? It rained all day yesterday. Today the sun's out for a little bit. Won't you just skip church and go work in the garden or something? Well, you know, you worked so hard this week, your butt hurts, your knee hurts, your ankle hurts. Won't you just take the day off, watch a little football? It ain't that big a deal, it's just church. And what did they just do? They missed the wisdom of God in the people being manifest so that they battle against the fallen angels and the encouragement to the holy angels is manifested in this day and age right now in the inheritance of all the saints. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. Let us cruise on. 
in case you think I kid myself. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and following. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 and following. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds kind of like that chapter 3 out of 2 Corinthians. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, and in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into the heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been, what? Subjected to Him. It was done with his death. And he took authority back. The war will stop someday because the fullness of Jesus Christ will be manifest when his body is all together. All the people are together and that will only happen when? In heaven. In heaven. They call it the wedding feast of the Lamb. His bride is what? The church. Which is the fullness of His body. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 through 15. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. You understand that once you're there, there is no limit on time. He is far above. He is far above. And do you understand that right now we fight against hosts? That want to deceive us. 
They can't unredeem us. We want to keep you and I from being the fullness of Jesus Christ. Why? That's how you move the planet. The fullness of Jesus Christ. And you know what? You can look around and say, we ain't that big. Look what he did with 11 half-hearted. That wasn't too bad. Jesus Christ is completely over us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God is where? In you. And if you don't have the Spirit, guess what? You're not His. Which makes, if He's completely over us, that means He is also completely in us. Our Supreme Lord and His supreme power are here right now. Okay? Back to our text in Ephesians. Because I want to deal with one other word. All right. He put all things in subjection under his feet. We see that in Revelations 20 when he takes possession of it and says, shoo, shoo. Okay. Please understand something. I want to talk about the lake of fire where they'll be tormented day and night. Do you understand that Satan ain't doing that? You read it. You just read it. Who's tormenting? God is. Just remember that. Satan ain't down there with his pitchfork saying, gotcha. No, he's going through the same pain that everybody else is going to be going through. Got that? And God's doing it. And guess what? He's doing it. When does God sleep? When did he have a vacation? So he doesn't stop. And you know what? With the biggest pain in the rear end that these, that group of demons is, I bet he takes great pleasure in eternity doing it. Alright? Gives a whole new meaning. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay. It says here that he is head over all things to the church. Okay, you know that's not your church, right? It's not my church. It's not the denomination's church. It is his church. He is the head over it. You got it? I got it. He's head over all things. Which is his what? His body. And the next phrase? The fullness of him. The church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the fullness of Christ. Pleromo. Plerimo. It has to do with complementing something. The fullness of Christ. As a head, a head, things on your shoulders must have a body to manifest the glory of that head. 
Okay, I mean, if you've got a head and it's just laying there on the floor, it loses something. Okay? A head must have a body to manifest the glory, to make known the glory of the head. So the Lord must have the church to manifest His glory. Now then, back to verse 10, chapter 3. So the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. And this is in accordance to the eternal purposes which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you read that? Remember in chapter 1, you were chosen before when? Foundations of the world. You were chosen when? When did you get saved? Before there was existence. And the reason you got saved? Right here. It was His eternal purpose. You ever thought about that? If God has a purpose, who stops it? Nothing. Ain't nothing out there. That's dumb. So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the angelic host. Hmm. The manifold wisdom of God. The manifold through the many to the one. Or if it's an intake manifold. Through the one to the many. And that produces what? The fullness of Christ. Do you realize how stupid it is to cast aspersion at other Christians? What you're saying is, well, God, you had a great plan, but it was stupid. And you know what? I'm still trying to figure out why he saved any of us. I'd have turned it all into a charcoal brick briquette, throwed it in the lake of fire, tormented its suckers day and night, forever and ever, and then I made me a new one. But you know why he didn't? He wanted to show the angelic host his wisdom as it manifested itself where? In the body of Christ. You know, we throw around a term, and I want you to think about this for a minute. This is some of my goofy reasoning stuff. We'll throw it out. You see a beautiful sunrise. You might see beautiful mountain scene, beautiful river. Just There's all kinds of things. Uh, you know, I've seen a sunrise come across the Mojave Desert one time, and it was awesome. But I really would not want to live there. I remember one time I was down in March. I was down in, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Grand Canyon. I was on the south rim. And uh, you're in the Grand Canyon. You're in Arizona. Give me a break. I'm standing in snow. Thinking, I thought it was in the desert. It's supposed to be desert. Ain't nothing growing around here. Why we got snow on the ground? And people said, well, what do you think about the Grand Canyon? I said, it looks fake. And it does. To this day, I mean, I'm standing there looking at it going, 
It just, my head, just, oh, it's just too much to look at. I just can't, it just looks fake. I mean, it's just, you know, I didn't, wasn't stupid enough to say, well, just walk off there and see if it is. Nah, I'm just, <laughs> no, 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 uh uh-uh. But I mean, you just look at it and it's just, this whole thing, as far as you can see, horizon, horizon, you're just in there, that's a seriously big ditch. Okay, but it looks fake. And it's beautiful. And I hear people throw around terms all the time. It's incomparable. You know what? I've learned in 61 years of existence. There is only one whom the word incomparable truly applies. Jesus Christ. Tell me something. What compares to Jesus Christ? What wonder there is in the person of Jesus Christ? What security there is in the person of Jesus Christ? And he has chosen us to display his uncomparable majesty. See, we like to quote it. He will take the foolish to confound the wise. He will take the weak to overthrow the strong as long as it ain't me. But when you think about what he can do with a sinner, what can you compare that to? He's incomparable. We are guaranteed to come to glory in order that he might forever manifest his praise. We are, did you hear what I said? Did you get that? We are guaranteed to come to glory that we might forever manifest His praise. And I mean, you can look around right now and say, I don't think they're going to manifest squat. No, it's guaranteed. The incomparable Christ is incomplete until the church, which is His body, is complete. Paul called it the fullness of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ fills all in all. Did you get that? All in all? You know what that means, right? Well, it's 92.4 Christians, percent of Christians. No, it's all in all. That's the full. That's like saying, well, Jesus Christ, he's complete now. He's got five toes missing. But he's complete. Now praise God, he's not on one foot. No. It says here in Ephesians, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Incomparable. It just it's astonishing to me. Have you ever dealt with some Christians that you like? I wish they would just Go away. And I know you guys, you guys probably think that about me. <laughs> but anyway, you're stuck with me for right now. So there. Nah, 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 nah. Okay. But there's, every once in a while, you'll run into some of these and you're just sitting there going, Oh, Lord, why? Because they're the fullness of all in all. 
I remember hearing a lady has a love for the Lord. I mean, she just oozes the love of the Lord. And when she would sing, she would shout. And, and, and I kept thinking, she's shouting to the Lord. But God, that's not a joyful noise. I mean, it was just like, ah. and, and, and you, you almost like, gosh, I wish I had to go to the bathroom or something so I could wait for this song to be over. And it did not matter what you sang. This lady would just let her fly. And I'm like, I used to stand next to Hank Smith. Some of you know Hank Smith. And I tell you what, he can get a whole row of people to sing off key. Craziest thing i ever seen in my life. I mean, he just, he'd get going, you're like, shut up, Hank. You're killing us over here. And this lady made Hank Smith sound like Pavarotti. But this lady had a love for the Lord, man. And when it came time to sing unto the Lord, by golly, I was glad he was listening. <laughs> Okay, but I think about her occasionally when I read the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I was like, wow. And he's giving his fullness to every single believer ever or to come. In God's wisdom and his grace, believers as the church are the fullness of him. Paul's point, this prayer, this petition, is that you and I might comprehend how secure we are in Christ, how unwavering and unchangeable is our hope of that eternal inheritance. Remember, chapter 1, past. It's all in the past. The power of glorification is invincible. And it is operating in each and every one of us to bring us to glory. So our very existence screams praise to God forever and ever. That's chapter 1 of Ephesians. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Lord, thank you that you are the head over all things to the church. Father, we thank you that the church is Christ's body. We thank you that the church is the fullness of him. And we thank you that believers are filled with all in all. Father, I pray for the bride here in the United States in Castle Rock and in this fellowship. That they understand the urgency of the day first and foremost. Father, understand the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church to the angelic host according to your eternal purpose which Christ Jesus our Lord carried out. May all of us, every one of us, regardless of our age, our position, or whatever, 
have a boldness and a confidence as we access our faith in Jesus Christ and your plan in eternity past that is fleshed out in our lives today. Thank you, my King. Christ's name. Amen.